It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Over and over again in Scripture, God promises His children to answer with a yes when they pray to Him. There doesn't seem to be any wiggle room for a no to fit into that program. And yet, heavenly no's exist. And get this, they exist because God loves us and desires to give us big, fat, heavenly yeses. Confused? Hopefully you'll better understand this supremely important truth by the end of this episode. Hey, this is Eric. Before we venture into today's Daily Thunder message and learn as believers how to properly appropriate strong Sicilian winds out of the Northwest, I wanted to mention that we have an upcoming week-long intensive training next month, August 22nd through 28th. This program is nearly full, so if you are interested in joining in on this powerhouse one-weeker, now would be the time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to learn more. Now let's join the Allied troops on their way across the Mediterranean Sea in July of 1943. It's Operation Husky, the critical attack on the island of Sicily. The battle plan is brilliant, and the troops are in high spirits. Victory is almost certain, as long as the wind doesn't start blowing. This message is called the Sicilian Wind, which is going to be a symbol uh, in this uh, process for the different hindrances we face in life that are unwelcomed. That in our ideal setup, when we approach our day, we have a way that we think the day should go. It's just baked into us. It's funny, we don't need to even compare notes on that, but we all wake up with the preferred uh, way that things should unfold. And right now, you do not have a design or a desire for a catastrophe in your day. You do not have a desire, and I'm going to fill in this, with, for a Sicilian wind today. And so, as a result, when the Sicilian wind blows, there is a proper response as a Christian. And we're going to see this unfold in World War II, and it stands off the page of history for me when, when I recognized it, when I saw this story, and it's just like, okay, it, this is like classic Eric. I've taught on this from so many different angles because for me, it is actually one of the most important points to grip and understand in the Christian life. How can bad things or difficult things happen to good people? And so when, I mean, most people trip over that. I mean, they break their nose on the concrete uh, with that one. They have, they're not prepared for it, and then slam, boom, they hit it, and it can rock their faith. It can cause them, and many people have left the faith because of a lack of understanding of how things work, the mechanics of the kingdom of heaven. And God is good. His word is true. He is faithful to it. And yet somehow this blur can be created. And so we are, in 1943, we're actually in the heat of the summer. It's almost parallel exactly with uh, the time of year we're at now. What are we, July 13th? Is that what today is, July 13th? This is July 10th, okay, of 1943. So we are a parallel. And the attack, it's Operation Husky. Isn't that a cool name? It sounds very American, doesn't it? Even though I'm sure a husky isn't an American. It it probably came from somewhere up in Newfoundland uh, is is where I would picture a husky. But for whatever reason, a husky just seems like an American term. And the Americans did have something to do with it. I could just see Roosevelt going, we're going to call this husky. Uh, However, uh, this is an American and British operation. The Americans uh, and the British have 
combined forces. Of course, that started way back in December of 1941 uh, when Pearl Harbor is bombed. The Americans are going to enter into it, but it's the first time they're actually going to be operational is at the very end of 1942 when they're going to combine forces and attack northern Africa. And Operation Torch is going to unfold, and it's the first breakthrough moments in World War II for the Allies where they're going to begin to taste victory. For, the great, for great Britain, the first time they're gonna taste victory. At least the Americans tasted victory at Midway. But for, the great, for great Britain, this is the first time. And it's a hinge point in the war. That's what uh, Churchill's gonna call it. And from this point forward, you're going to see victory mount upon victory and victory. So the thing is for the Allies, they don't know that yet. And that's an important thing to remember that even though the outflow of the war is is basically, it's going downhill now. They're no longer climbing uphill. It's, it's actually unfolding. There's another event that is taking place in a little earlier in 1943 that Evans, in a sense, skipped over, even though it's one of the most important events in the war. And I'm not skipping over it like because I don't want to cover it. I'm at, it's been in my notes. It was in my notes for last week to actually give the message, and I keep pushing it off because it's a hard one for me to know how to deal with. It's like the Holocaust. How do you cover the Holocaust in an edifying way? Stalingrad is one of the most bloody battles in history. It's one of the most horrifying things to study, and it's evil against Hitler. Uh, evil against Hitler. It's evil against evil is what I was going to say, and what's funny is Hitler came out instead of evil, which is, you know, interesting. Uh, but it's evil against evil. You have two very diabolical minds that desire blood, and they are going to match wits in Stalingrad, and it's a very, very ugly battle. And uh, the amount of casualties is off the charts, but it is going to change the course of history. Stalingrad is a defining moment because it's the first time in history that Hitler will look vulnerable. Up to that point, he is dominated everywhere he's gone. Now suddenly, the world is going to see he can lose. And everything from that point, Hitler's going to start losing, 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 losing. And so it's the same thing. You see this change of tenor in 1943. And so we're right at that point, this cusp point. So we've just won North Africa. And I'm saying we because I'm on the side of the allies in this. It, it, that's been decidedly so. I don't want to side with the Axis powers in this story. I, I'm, remember, my middle name is Winston. Have I ever told you guys that? And so I'm, I'm decidedly al an ally uh, guy here. Okay, So I'm cheering on the allies. Go allies. And uh, we are right at this crux where we have victory, we're tasting victory for the first time, but we need to figure out what to do with it now. And so we've gone over that multiple uh, episodes in the past, oh, I don't know, week or two, of the, the difficulties that the allies are facing now in working together. Because it's interesting, it's almost easier to work together when you're losing and you're hanging on for dear life together. It's like, you, you still there, brother? I'm here with you, brother. And so they're like bonded together. But once you start winning, you start getting a little cocky. It's like, yeah, well, my idea worked over here. Why do you think your idea is better than mine? I, I think we should do it this way. And so you see this tension begin to arise in the allies. And so they're learning to work together. So they finally land their feet on their next operation, and that is Sicily. It's called Operation Husky. And so I, I'm going to introduce you to that. And my point isn't to teach you on Operation Husky. It's to share one 
thing that happened in it, which is extremely intriguing to me, and then to bring us into the story as the church of Jesus Christ, as individual believers, because we have Operation Husky a lot, and we need to know how to engage it and how to respond to it. The Sicilian wind. Clicker's not on. Operation Husky, July 10th, 1943, the attack on Sicily. So this is what's going to be called an amphibious attack. When we get to uh, D-Day, the beaches of Normandy, it's one of the most famed uh, battles in all of history, especially American history, this is, that's going to be an amphibious attack, and there will be nothing like it up to that point. But at this point, nothing had been like this. The attack on Sicily, Operation Husky, is an amphibious attack. So the amphibious nature, if you think of a uh, a frog. You have the tadpole unto a frog. So it starts in water and then it ends on land. That's an amphibious attack. And so it's a pretty well-named idea. And, but up to this point, it's been very difficult in history to do amphibious assaults. You bring in your ship and you have to sort of shoot some, uh, some cannonade you know, from your, your ship to hopefully you know, get, ever have them raise a, a white flag. But it's hard to get off your ship Make it in your boat to land when they're shooting arrows at you or, you know, bombs at you. And so to get from sea to land is extremely difficult, which is why it's nearly impossible to invade Great Britain. Great Britain for a thousand years has not had enemy troops on its land because an amphibious assault is nearly impossible. So there is going to be a design, and I went through this, I mean, we're talking, it feels like years ago now, but it was months ago, talking about the invention of Churchill back in World War I. He invented a ship, it's sort of hard to call it a ship, but it's a transport vehicle that actually is able to take tanks and bring it right up to the shore and then flunk, flop down some kind of runway and then the, the tanks literally go straight out of the ship onto the land. Okay, that's cool. But you realize you could put soldiers in there. You could put anything in there. And so he actually came up with this idea in World War I. It was never designed. It was never put into uh, construction and manufacturing. But then in World War II, when he becomes prime minister, ding, he has this light bulb go off and he grabs his, his study because he was over naval operations in World War I before he got sacked uh, after uh, a certain uh, event took place, which we're not going to go into. Remember, I'm pro-Churchill. Uh, I don't want to talk about those, those days. They're way in the past. However, in World War II, he's going to unpack this invention and sure enough, it's going to prove one of the most important ideas in World War II. It's going to make amphibious assault possible. And so we see the greatest amphibious assault ever in history on the island of Sicily. So just to give you, I, I really liked this map. I was intrigued by it because I'm always looking at maps of World War II and this one really doesn't help you see World War II. It just helps you see Italy better. But it's showing you France and North Africa, which has been critical in this. And so uh, look at this next uh, little slide. I'm going to add some stars in here to show you what the Allies have taken. That's North Africa, okay? Right above it, we have this Mediterranean uh, Sea zone, which has become very critical and strategic in World War II. So Italy, which is the white country there, it's the only one with a color uh, to it, is uh, going to be the next critical zone for the Allies. Because what they want to do is somehow distract Hitler 
from his attack on Russia. They want to create what's called a second front. They need to get Hitler to turn his attention. So they have to hit hard enough where Hitler's going to say, if we don't deal with that, we're going down. So he has to take extreme measures and extreme resources from what he's pulling it, pushing against Russia, Soviet Russia, to actually solve a riddle. And so what they are now thinking is, what if we were to make Italy unsteady? What if we were to take Italy? What if we were to throw down Mussolini? What would happen to Hitler? I mean, that's one of his key allies, which is, is a funny term to say because he's on the Axis side. So it's one of his key buddies uh, in the battle. And it's critical strategically where he's located because that's why the Axis are going to start with control of the Mediterranean is because of Italy's uh, betrayal to the allies. They, Italy was on the side of the allies in World War I, and then they're going to side with Hitler? Oh, come on. And so I'm going to circle this. There's Sicily right there. So that's going to give you an idea of where we're at. We, we now are controlling North Africa, and to begin to move towards uh, the boot, we need to get Sicily. And so Sicily becomes the priority of all the allies. It took a while for us to land our feet on that and for us all to agree as allies. However, now we have the plan. So Winston Churchill is going to say this. This was the greatest amphibious operation so far attempted in history. Key line here, guys. This is a foreshadow. In a movie, this would be a foreshadow. Okay, my kids now, because I've, I've taught them what foreshadows are, so we'll be watching something, they'll be like, foreshadow, and they'll yell it out. Uh, I used to always mumble, foreshadow, and now they yell out, foreshadow. It's like, yes, yes, kids, it is a foreshadow, but we don't need to yell. But all depended on the weather. Okay, why does he need to add that line in? <laughs> There's a whole bunch of great plans that we can bake up and yet it all depends on the oven working and it's funny but so many battles that i've studied through world war one and world war two you can come up with the greatest plans and yet the weather is so unpredictable and weather massively changes everything and so how we as christians now i'm going to take it out of world war two into our world war as believers, how we handle weather is very, very important. Because for many of us, we can get upset. Like I have mumbled a few times about the straight, you know, the string that we've had of high 90 degree days, okay? Where you start to just mumble a little, like, you know, an 80 degree, and then I saw on the weather app that it's like gonna drop down to like 80, and guess what? I'm leaving town to go to New York on the very day that it drops down to 80. It's like, what? And so a little mumbling can come out, right? And that's important for us to have our souls not be pushed around by weather changes. Let me read this quote because it is a foreshadow. But all depended on the weather. So they have this massive amphibious assault. They have the momentum. Remember, they just won North Africa. And now it all depends on the weather. It doesn't matter how well you've strategized this. It all depends on this one factor you have no control over. So the Christian confidence in the attack on Sicily. So I'm, we're not attacking Sicily. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Our, our battle is a spiritual battle, right? But we have a similar type of thing where we have our next step forward. We have the, the obedience to God. God's saying, take Sicily. So we're like, okay, yes, Lord. And so we begin to move forward in our life. And what is our confidence? When we move forward in obedience to God, what, what do we have as a confidence? Well, we're going to pray. 
And we're going to trust that God's going to lead us. He's going to govern our steps. So God will hear our prayer and answer. God, help us take Sicily. God, here's our plans, but we submit them to you. Please lead us. Please take care of us and help us win in Sicily. Okay, that's just reasonable Christianity. That's how we function. So the doctrine of yes is what I call this. So Matthew 7, 7 is going to give us the, the uh, insight into that. Ask and it shall be given you. God, help us be victorious in Sicily. Help us get these landing craft to the shores of Sicily so that we can invade effectively and take down this evil. And so you're going to see that I have a whole bunch of other scriptures. Matthew 21, 22, John 11, 22, John 14, 13, John 14, 14, John 15, 16, John 16, 23, John 16, 24, and James 1, 5. All of them are going to establish the same thing. You ask, God answers yes. You ask, God answers yes. It's strange. You just keep going through it. So it's very easy for us to land our feet on this doctrine and say, yes, there's a clear doctrine in the scripture that says God says yes to the prayers of the saints who pray in the name of Jesus. Now, there are other caveats to that. You need to pray in accordance with the will of God. You need to uh, make sure that there isn't sin in your own life, that you are praying by faith. You know, there's various things that are going to be added in the New Testament surrounding these scriptures. But long and short, you're going to come to the point that yes is the answer from God. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So God doesn't just say yes, but he actually goes above and beyond that which we're asking. So we're asking just for victory in, in Sicily, you know, that we would have, I mean, technically what we're usually praying for is perfect weather and that we would be able to bring these transports across, that we would not lose one man and that we would be able to open the transport, the, the tanks would come out and take down and mow down and everyone else would just surrender. Okay, the enemy will just surrender. You see, we don't like the conflict. We don't like the battle. We don't like that there's friction in this thing. We don't like the fact that weather can play into things. We want God to say yes to a very specific thing when actually that's what oftentimes trips us. God says yes, but we have to begin to bend to the fact that God knows best of what needs to happen in Sicily. We don't. We're hazarding guesses, and usually our guesses are based on our comforts and our ease. We don't want to lose a man. We don't want to have anything go wrong. We definitely don't want bad weather. And so as a result, our prayers are usually crafted that way, as opposed to crafted with submission unto God, who knows best of how to win Sicily. But there's a fact here in Ephesians 3.20 that Paul is bringing out, that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So it's not just a yes, it's an exceeding abundantly beyond all that we're asking. God knows what he's doing. So the key for us is a posture in our soul to, yes, pray, to expect a yes, in fact, to expect God to do beyond what we're asking. And here's Jesus in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. So this is going to be the same scripture I read earlier, just with a little more meat to it. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, receives. And he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if, you, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? 
Or if he asks to fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Ask me for Sicily, guys. I'll give it to you. And so here we are on the human side, and we are plotting and planning our strategy, and we know that it hinges on the weather. And so the one request we have is that God give us clear blue skies. I mean, come on. That's not that difficult for God. And yet it seems like the one thing that doesn't happen is the weather doesn't agree. I mean, how could that be? The one, I mean, there is a very specific request we have here. And, you know, God, yeah, we want Sicily. You see, God didn't say, go across the clear uh, blue sky uh, Mediterranean Sea and have it easy in your life and take Sicily. You see, God says, take Sicily. We just want to take Sicily on our terms, the way we think Sicily should be taken. However, there's this Sicilian wind that can come up in our lives. So here's Winston Churchill. He's going to continue the story. Do you remember the foreshadow right before this? The morning was fine. Oh, whew. Boy, that's what we were praying for, guys. I'm so glad to hear that the morning was fine. But... Oh, no. What, what? A but? I don't like that but being in there. But by noon, a fresh and unseasonable, it's not even a seasonable wind, it's an unseasonable northwest wind sprang up. During the afternoon, the wind increased. And by evening, there was a heavy swell, which would make landings hazardous, particularly on the western beaches in the American sector. Oh, boy, that even hits closer to home, because uh, I'm American. Oh, no. So Admiral Andrew Cunningham, he's going to be over the naval operations here. He says in his, uh, his responses to all of this and his communications, whether not favorable, but operation proceeding. Doesn't that sound like our life? I'm going to read that again because that's, that's like our life in a nutshell. Whether not favorable, but operation proceeding. <laughs> Is that Christianity or what? Manifestly too late for postponement. But considerable anxiety felt, particularly for the small craft convoys making up against the sea. Winston Churchill is going to summarize by saying, they were indeed much delayed and became scattered. Okay, we had a great plan here, guys. Our operation, Operation Husky, brilliant. I mean, some of the best minds came together. It took us forever to get this operation going in the first place. We finally get it going. We all agree we have something good here. We have momentum. We have a sharp plan. We have all the military uh, materials we need to win this thing. And we have wind. Oh, the Sicilian wind. The Christian attitude amidst the northwest wind. So how do we handle the Sicilian wind, this northwest wind? What's our response? Because that is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. We wanted a life. In fact, we even asked God for a life and for an attack on Sicily that was clear blue skies. We don't want even the waves uh, to be you know, roaring at all. We want total placid calm if it's even conceivable in the Mediterranean. That's what we want. You see, God goes exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, so why can't he do that? You see, he is going beyond all we could ask or think in this story. 
But at first, we have to encounter something that doesn't look favorable. It's unwanted, it's undesired. When you woke up this morning, like I said, you did not say, God, I would like a good trial. And yet God knows exactly what is needed for you to take Sicily. So Paul the Apostle is going to give that one line that comes in when we least desire to hear this scripture. Have you ever noticed that there's certain scriptures that at times you just want to nurse your frustration? You want to coddle your complaining. And then Paul comes in. And it's always in that one quiet time in the morning when we are, you know, have a little grumble in our spirit. And then Paul will uh, echo in with this one. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, including right now. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Uh, we got a northwest wind. Uh, it's really creating hazards for our landing. We had this whole thing planned out, God. I mean, what, what's going on here? Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoicing doesn't seem like it fits. It doesn't seem appropriate for such a circumstance. Hey, and by the way, Eric, while you're rejoicing, give thanks right now. Give thanks? What am I supposed to give thanks for? Everything is going south and quick. So Betsy and the Fleas. One of, if any of you have studied uh, the Ten Booms, then we all love this story. And so even though many of you are familiar with this story, it's worth repeating because it does show us something. It shows us the proper response of the Christian amidst the Sicilian wind. So Betsy and Corey uh, Ten Boom are, have just been transported to a German concentration camp. This is not a good situation. They are, uh, I mean, the way that they're treated is horrible, and yet somehow they are going to get a Bible uh, through the, the strip down and the, and the searches. I mean, the, the story's great. Uh, they're gonna get a Bible and a bottle of vitamins uh, through. And so when they finally get into their barracks, barracks 28, Betsy and Corey are going to uh, come together and just sort of cling to one another and they're going to pray and give, and Betsy's encouraging Corey, let's give thanks to God. Now, they're in a concentration camp. Now, wh what could you possibly do that would be thankful in this. I mean, there's nothing to be thankful for. How could you rejoice in such a circumstance? Yet, Paul's going to say, rejoice always. In everything, give thanks. What? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And that's our position. We are in Christ. And we're always like, God, what's your will? Well, rejoice. Give thanks. And so they begin to do that. They give thanks for the fact that they're together. That's, that's a miracle in and of themselves. They're in the same barracks together, I mean, sisters. I mean, that's amazing. Okay, thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, thank you, Lord, for our vitamin bottle. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible that we got through. You know, thank you for our life, our health. I mean, we're still here. And then Betsy said, and <clears throat> so their, their bunk and their, their barracks was full of fleas. I mean, they're like dancing all over the place. And Betsy says, let's thank God for the fleas. And so I think she just thanked God for the fleas, and then she asked uh, Corey to do it too, and Corey could not do that. She would not do that. She can't thank God for fleas. Fleas! Ugh! And yet, she finally is bent to the point where, yes, I'm willing to give thanks for the fleas. So right now, many of you have 
a Sicilian wind in your life. It's not something that you plotted and planned out. It's like, okay, and a good Sicilian wind would be perfect right about now. You didn't invite fleas into your life, and yet there they are. And yet how you respond in your soul is critical because God is doing exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you are knowing to ask or think. And yet you need to trust him. When the Sicilian wind blows and the gale is upon you and the waves are crashing against your little small boats that are supposed to you know, land easily, and remember in your mind you had it all envisioned of how this was going to unfold and this is not it, is God in control? The Christian starts with the premise, God's in control, which is why we can rejoice. God has me right where he wants me. So, Lord, thank you for this. If God really is in control, you can thank him at every turn. Even if it looks like a negative turn, even if it is an unwelcomed wind, you can trust God. So giving thanks for what appears to be a disaster. Now this is a hard moment to give thanks. Now I can't tell you that the allied forces gave thanks. Okay? I, I can't tell you that they did. I wasn't there with them. However, as a Christian, I can tell you how we are supposed to respond in these situations. Uh, Sir, it looks like we have a heavy wind coming from the northwest. Praise God. <laughs> that is the worst thing that could happen right now. The worst thing. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I, are you thanking God right now, Eric? Yes, I'm thanking God right now. There's, didn't you hear me? I gave you the report that there's a northwest wind, and it is actually creating a hazardous landing for all of our craft. We could lose this thing. We could lose our ships. We could lose the whole kit and caboodle. God's in control. Thank you, Lord. You see, the Christian trusts implicitly. Do you remember that God says yes? And you can say, well, God sure doesn't seem to be saying yes in this one. We asked for calm, clear waters. No, we asked for something bigger. We asked that God would give us victory on the island of Sicily. And you're like, well, this doesn't look like victory. Watch what God will do. Just because something looks hazardous, just because something looks like it's going the opposite direction, doesn't mean it is. Look at the cross. The cross looks like things are going in the wrong direction. It looks like the devil has the upper hand. Jesus isn't even saying anything. He's dying. In fact, he just breathed his last. That's your Messiah right there. I thought he was going to come into Jerusalem and he was going to free us of the Romans. I mean, we had this all figured out. Messiah, come. Come and deliver us. He did. But what looks like defeat, what looks like an unwelcomed wind, it looks like things are going backwards is actually the greatest victory in history. You see, this is why I'm attracted to this story. See, I, I'm foreshadowing the story too. Could you imagine if the story turns out that all their crafts sink and they lose? That would be a terrible story, wouldn't it? So, and I've already, I've already foreshadowed enough that they aren't gonna lose a battle moving forward, right? So you have this like latent confidence, but that's the same thing we have in Christianity. We have all the foreshadows. You won't lose. No, I know right now it looks bad, but you do know what Eric said, that all the battles from this point forward are gonna be won. <laughs> In other words, what looks like a loss is anything but. What looks like a bad thing, the northwest wind? Oh no, say it isn't so. It is so, we have a northwest wind. That wasn't part of my prayer. I deliberately asked God not to give us any wind. Mm-hmm, 
but you asked for something bigger and that's what he's answering. He's going exceedingly abundantly beyond your little pathetic praying down here. You're praying for little dinky things here. It's like the, the disciples in the boat that are like, Jesus, could you wake up and bail water with us? And Jesus is sleeping. It's like, I thought you said that Jesus says yes always. Oh, he will. Well, just watch. You might as well give thanks right now. Just rejoice because God has you right where he went. We're sinking. We're, our boat's filling up with water and he's sleeping over here. Just, just trust me. God, God's in control. The creator of the heavens and the earth is in the boat with you. I think you're fine. It sure doesn't look fine. He's going to wake up. And could you imagine? He's going to say no to their request. Here's a bucket, Jesus. Could you bail? He's going to say no. Can you believe that? I thought he always said yes. He does. But he says yes to something exceedingly abundantly beyond. Peace be still. He is frying bigger fish. You see, what we oftentimes trip over are the small little non-essential things that we think God should do in our life when he's accomplishing bigger things in our life. He's answering bigger prayers the whole while. And we oftentimes trip over the fact that we felt we should have a Christian life without any wind. That isn't what he promises. Read the New Testament, you'll find that it has wind all throughout it. The absence of wind is not what God is going to honor as far as a request. The victory over Sicily, he will. He has given you a commission to take down the enemy, to take and occupy that territory. Is it going to be easy? He doesn't promise that. But he does promise triumph. He promises to be faithful and true. So, Corey Tenboom is in a Dutch prison because, you know, the whole reason that, that Corey and Betsy are in prison is because they helped the Jews. They're not Jewish, but they're with all the Jews in the concentration camp because they helped the Jews. And so that's an interesting way to suffer. They're suffering for doing good. And so they're in a Dutch prison, which is bad. It's a bad situation because it's still controlled by the Nazis. And then the, she has one prayer because she's heard the rumors of these concentration camps in Germany. And so she has one simple prayer to God. God, do not allow a Sicilian wind in my life. Oh, that isn't what she prayed. Her prayer was, Lord, not Germany. Not Germany, Lord. Many of us have a similar prayer in our life because you could say, I, you already said, Eric, you went on record saying God always says yes. He does. So how hard is it? And this is a very, very important truth. When Suddenly, uh, Betsy and Corey are taken out of their cells and they're stuck on a train and they go this long journey from the Netherlands across the border and they see the border crossing into Germany. And she's play, replaying in her mind her prayer to God, not Germany, Lord, not Germany. And yet she's going right into Germany. God, did you not hear me? I thought you promised to say yes. See, one of the things that I'm going to learn from Corey's life that is maybe one of the most pithy and profound statements is her conclusion on this. That is, she prayed a bigger prayer, and God was answering it. Before all this started, she set her life in God's hands, and she said, God, use this humble servant Fill me with your spirit and take me through whatever you must take me through to use me to share your gospel with the nations. And so guess what? God's frying bigger fish. He's answering a bigger prayer. He's not gonna answer a pathetic little prayer of have you know, no wind, and no waves, no difficulties. 
He's saying, I must do, to answer this prayer, you need to be in Germany. So I do hear your prayer, Corey, and I'm answering it. I'm answering your bigger prayer that the light of Jesus Christ would shine through you to impact nations. And it's because she was in Germany that she changed my life. It's because of her sufferings in Ravensbrück. If she had not been in that German concentration camp, I probably would have never heard of this little, this, this little I was going to say this little girl, but this little woman. Why would I have ever heard of her? But it's because of the drama that surrounded her life. It's because she suffered for the Jews in Germany that she suddenly gained a voice worldwide. Everyone wanted to hear her story. It's amazing. So I've always called this principle the two-sided ticket, which is I always picture, you know, arriving at DIA where I'm headed tomorrow, so I'll I'll probably get one of these tickets. And you you pull up and it says, uh, you know, I think you push a button and it goes, printing ticket, please wait. And then it goes and prints out. And that's sort of what it's like when we make our petition to God. God, I want to get across the Mediterranean to the shores of Sicily with our landing craft without any wind, without any waves. And I want every single character, you know, every tank and every uh, soldier to get off without being injured. And so then we push the button. And then printing ticket, please wait. And out comes our answer. And sometimes it says yes, and sometimes it says no. How could God print out a no for us when he promises to say yes? Sometimes they come out blank. You ever gotten one of those? You're like, "Uh, what, what do I do with this? The blank ones and the no's are actually, according to Christian history, the greatest things you could ever receive. And some of us are like, oh, that's like me saying, the Sicilian wind, oh, you got the Sicilian wind? Oh, this is going to be a great story. When you get a no, it's not actually what you think. It's not a no, no. It is, it means something. It means turn the ticket over. That's what a no means. It's actually not a no. It's the signal that there's a greater yes. When you get a yes, that means you just get a yes. That's boring. But when you get a no, you're getting a bigger, like capital Y, Capital E, capital S, yes. He's answering something bigger. He's going exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that you thought to ask. All that you could conjure up and imagine to ask. Your ask was too small. Lord, bail water for us. He's ready to calm winds and waves. Lord, heal my brother. Heal Lazarus. He's frying bigger fish. For the glory of God, he is accomplishing something. Do you trust him? So a two-sided ticket, when you ever get a no or a blank one, I know, it's a little hard, a little disrupting to your soul at first, but turn it over. And on the other side is that affectionate fatherly paragraph that says, thank you for asking. I did hear your prayer, and I'm giving you a greater yes. I'm answering something that you have set before me long before you set before me this little piddly request that you're asking now. And I'm going to say yes to that. You want to take Sicily and drive out the enemy. I'm going to do that. But I can't answer your, I can't give you a yes to the fact that there's no northwest wind. The Sicilian wind is necessary to take Sicily. Just wait, guys. This is good. This is good. God is frying bigger fish. I always, I just really like that phrase. And some of you have heard me say that for years. God is frying bigger fish. 
we oftentimes try and put God into these little dinky fish. Uh, you know, it's just like, God, could you, what, what are those, sardines? Is that what those are called, sardines? And so we try and get God into sardine-sized prayers. And God's like into, uh, uh, what's like a huge fish, like a swordfish or something? Swordfish. He's into swordfish. That's a pretty cool fish to give to God. What was yours? A grouper. He's into groupers. <coughs> Admiral Andrew Cunningham. So this is uh, uh, Admiral Cunningham speaking. The wind mercifully eased during the night. And by the morning of the 10th, July 1943, had ceased, leaving only a tiresome swell and surf on the western beaches. So the conversion of the bad. Now, I'm, I'm building a story here. I mean, this is what's funny is in, in Churchill's memoirs, this is just a little dinky, a couple paragraph story, right? But I tell you what, it stood, it danced on the pages for me because this is, for the Christian, this is like the key understanding of how we walk through everything with triumph. It's the attitude of victory. It's understanding that God is in control always. He takes every wind and converts it. So that's why I'm gonna call this the conversion of the bad. What we consider bad, what we want to avoid at all costs, like fleas, I do not like fleas. In first year, if you've ever heard Leslie's and my love story, uh, when we were first married, we had this beautiful uh, place. It was like this bed and breakfast during the winter. It was closed during the winter, so it was all boarded up, but we got to live in it, right? And the problem is we weren't alone. We had fleas. And there were these raccoons that chose to live in the chimney. And I guess most, most fleas during the winter live on raccoons. And so we had a host of fleas. And so you bring up fleas with Eric and Leslie Ludi, and we sort of uh, shiver a bit. It's like the northwest wind. It's like, God, I would prefer not to have that uh, in this whole venture called marriage. God, I want to have a marriage that changes the world, that shines the light of Christ. And please, no fleas. <laughs> We don't need those. I, I don't want fleas in the very beginning of my love story. The fleas became the insulation from the evil guards and the protection of the nightly Bible readings. So the Nazi guards are not going to go into Barracks 28 because they hated the fleas. So they're going to leave Barracks 28 alone, and guess what? They have a Bible in there. So who knows how many people came to know Christ because of those fleas. That's incredible. Lord, thank you for the fleas. And the stopover in Germany for Corey opened up an unprecedented avenue into the hearts and minds of people worldwide that otherwise may not have ever heard about the love and goodness of Jesus Christ. So guess what? People are gonna be one to Jesus, including me. I was, I've been greatly impacted by Corey Ten Boom's life and her testimony. Why? Because God took her into Germany. God allowed that because she had prayed a bigger prayer. And that is, in a sense, God, help me reach Eric Ludi. God, use my life to reach Eric Ludi. You see, God is frying bigger fish than her little prayer of no northwest wind, please. I, I don't want any waves to crash against my life. But she had submitted long before that to something far greater. So Winston Churchill is going to give a statement that really fits in well here. The bad weather helped to give us surprise. This is a huge battle. The significance of this, at the time, it's hard for us because I've already told you that, you know, from this point, they're going to have victory after victory after victory. However, they are going to engage on the shorelines with the Italians and the Germans here. 
Okay, this is a big deal. So they are going to begin to crest into Europe for the first time in all of World War II. So this is the first shoreline battle in the European theater. Think about that. Even though it's on the Mediterranean side, it's still the European theater. And they are going to surprise them. Why? Because they're on watch day and night. They know they're going to come for Sicily. They, they can feel it in their bones. This is the most obvious strategic location. How could you catch them by surprise? This is amazing. So Admiral Andrew Cunningham is going to say, this is, this is really good, guys. I mean, this is, this is worth framing or something. The very efficient cover plan and deceptive routing of convoys played their part. In addition, the vigilance of the enemy was undoubtedly relaxed owing to the unfavorable phase of the moon. Finally came this wind, dangerously close at the time to making some, if not all, of the landings impracticable. These apparently unfavorable factors had actually the effect of making the weary Italians, who had been alert for many nights, turn thankfully in their beds, saying, tonight, at any rate, they can't come. But they came. Isn't that great? I mean, that's, that's good stuff, guys. So the one night that the Italians are going to sleep soundly in their bed thinking, at least we know the Allies will not strike us tonight, was because of the wind. So what looks unfavorable is actually being leveraged by God towards the very thing that you asked for. God, give me Sicily. Drive out the enemy from this territory. He says, I will. And God, on the way over to Sicily, could we have placid calm? No, because I want it to be a surprise. And I'm going to have to bring in a little wind to make that happen. So I'm going to answer this prayer request with a big fat yes. To do that, I'm going to say no to this one, though. In other words, God says yes because he knows what is best for us. We need to trust him. Paul the Apostle in Romans 8, 27 through 28, it seems like I have, I work this into probably, I, mean, I don't know if it's possible to say too many of my messages, but when you, I, I was asked a question, I had uh, John Clay Burnett came in and he was interviewing me for a whole bunch of Ellerslie uh, videos that we were making. And one of the questions, I'm not actually sure if it actually became one of the videos or if it was off camera, I don't remember, but it was one of those things like, what is the most important truth in Christianity. Well, that's impossible. How in the world are you supposed to answer that? And so it's almost like you need to say, you mean besides the gospel. Uh, and so as far as a functional truth that has caused more strength in my life than maybe any other is found right here. Now, many of us have memorized this scripture. We know this scripture. But functionally, the impact of this is how we approach the Sicilian wind. And if you can approach the Sicilian wind, the fleas, the German occupation, the Ravensbrück concentration camp properly, you thrive in the midst of every challenge. There's a smile on your soul. There's a song in the prison cell. And as a result, prison cells collapse around you. Breakthrough takes place. This is classic Christianity that triumphs on the stage of time. And it's found right here. Romans 8, 27 through 28. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, God, I had this whole plan, and now I have a wind. How are you handling that wind? God works all things together for good. That means fleas, so you can thank God for them. That means Sicilian winds from the northwest. You can thank God for them. And I guarantee you, in the midst of this situation, Admiral Cunningham was probably struggling to thank God for that wind because the number one threat to their entire operation was upon them, and that was the wind. It wasn't even the enemy. They needed the wind to go away. The wind went away at precisely the right moment it had to so that all the Italians could sleep peacefully that night and not be on their guard. And as a result, in the morning, the wind stops just at the right time and all the landing craft make it. Surprise! The enemy is going to go down in Sicily. And God is going to do precisely what he promised he would do. He said yes. Father, position the feet of our soul upon rock so that when winds and rains beat against our house, we will not fall. I pray that we as the church of Jesus Christ would not be foiled by the winds. We would not be foiled by the fleas. But Lord Jesus, we would learn to give thanks in all things, for you are in control. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.